Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. You know, each and every week we talk consistently about ways that we can improve the quality of our lives, happiness being the very broad brush-stroked description of that. Um, And there's several ways to do it. And people are out there in the world creating initiatives and, and taking their happiness on the road. And one of our guests today is, is a return friend of the show, and that is the business. Yes, business is friend of the show, Wool and the Gang, which is a UK-based knitting company. And they've approached knitting as mindfulness and knitting as a way to connect, commune, relieve stress, heal, and basically sit with your tribe and and stitch and bitch. You know, I mean, that's putting it kind of bluntly, but there's a lot of benefits to this. And with me today is Charlotte Hinson. She is the marketing director for Wool and the Gang, and she does startups, right, Charlotte? That's what you said to me when we were talking briefly. That's what you love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's been my whole place. history. Yes, exactly. That's my happy place. <laughs> that is your happy place. And I love that. And you reached out to us and let us know about a campaign that you are embarking upon called Make Yourself Happy. And I love the story of how this came to be because this exemplifies what we're talking about over here on Harvesting Happiness. Yeah. So this was very much inspired, which I, which also makes me particularly excited about it was very much inspired by our own customers. So at the beginning of this year, we put out a survey to our customers, which started with some lighter weight questions about, you know, where did you learn how to knit and crochet and um, where do you find inspiration and did you learn offline and online and how many hours a week do you knit or crochet? And then we also started to kind of to delve a bit deeper because we know that we 
we find it personally in the office very like relaxing and um, we want to see if our customers felt the same way. And we start to ask them, you know, does it help you feel more confident? Does it help you overcome stress and anxiety? And the results were really amazing. Um, 34% of them said it made them feel more confident. And 68% said it helped them overcome stress and anxiety. And then right at the bottom of the survey, we actually kind of had like a a non-multiple choice question, a totally open question where we said, has, you know, tell us about a time, if it's ever happened for you, where knitting or crochets helped you overcome a particularly difficult experience in your life. And we got, um, we got over a thousand incredibly honest and personal and moving responses, ranging from, you know, work stress, which I think is basically affects everybody, it seems like, um, work stress all the way through to bereavement, to dealing with convalescence. And so, and it was all kind of centered around the, the basic properties of the basic health benefits of knitting and crochet, which is this, this very repeti repetitive movement. And there's that quiet concentration that it requires, which makes it um, very akin actually to transcendental meditation, but much easier. And maybe we would argue a tiny bit more fun, if that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Oh, it's it's fair. And, and, it, and it makes perfect sense. Because knitting is such a mindful practice, you know, the, the health benefits of, of mindfulness, we know are um, reduced blood pressure, um, your your resting pulse goes down, your, your breathing starts to regulate, you start to relax into the body uh, that allows the mind to sort of wander in and out. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefit to, to what knitting does to get us to that mindful place absolutely and also on you know in the the importance of uh, stress reduction which really seems to be kind of the modern uh, affliction of our times um we found some to oh, excuse me some statistics which said that uh 77 of the u.s population regularly experiences symptoms caused by stress and thereby workplace stress costs approximately 190 billion in annual health care for employees, which I think also kind of elevates it to be one of the most kind of pressing health concerns for modern times. So I really, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like that's what me and my friends are, we're always saying that to each other. That seems to be like the, the thing that we, we almost like start our sentences with, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that's what I we're, know. We're... <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I do know. Yeah. Stress is a killer. You know, that it's not these issues that pop up in our lives because life, life is filled with stressful events. It's the way we learn to relate to these issues when they, when they present themselves. You know, if we're going through bereavement, which is one of the examples that you used where, where knitting is very effective, it doesn't take away the grief over having lost someone that we love, it enables us to better manage our emotions and manage our well-being, our physical and emotional well-being while moving through the process. Absolutely. And a lot of people also spoke about the control and that's what they liked. I think the regularity and the control and the, and the sense of achievement you get because you actually, you finish something and you're, you're kind of you're, you really like end up with an actual thing at the end of it. I think that's what people liked quite a lot. It kind of made like very, it's very practical, made real practical sense. You didn't have to kind of, I guess, stretch your mind particularly far in order to find the comfort in it. I agree. And I'm thinking of some of the, the products that are on your website. And I really encourage our listeners to go to the website for Wool and the Gang because on it, you will see this is high fashion. This is not your grandma's doily. 
<laughs> I mean, putting absolutely it bluntly, not. right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. We very much, um, we don't see that just because it's DIY fashion that it has to be any less kind of design and, and trend-led than ready-to-wear. There just, there really shouldn't be any difference. And that's very much what inspired Jade to start it up was this, she really loved the, the both the relaxing element and the sustainable element of uh, DIY fashion and knitwear in particular. But her and Aurelie, her co-founder, couldn't necessarily find the maybe the designs, the silhouettes, and the colors uh, that really the kind of matched what they wore in their day-to-day lives. So that's that's kind of why they started up. Thought they might as well do it themselves. Oh well, I'm I'm so glad they did because this stuff is fabulous. I remember when Jade was on the show the first time, we were talking about I think there was a some fabulous scarf and hat that was like a cap that was very very slouchy and so fashion forward. I'm like that is fabulous, and she said it's not that hard to make. She's absolutely right because especially those items which I reckon she showed you are um, they're very chunky wool and very big needles and so you see results quite quickly which I really like I'm very impatient as well and uh, so I'm very much kind of still you know knitting things that are largely rectangular and with big needles and big wool and yeah you just see results really fast and um, it's just really exciting you I don't really get bored of making kind of hats and scarves and snoods and that kind of thing because every time you pick up a different wool or a different color and so yeah and and had you knitted before you came to work with Wool and the Gang? I had, but I'd done, I think, the kind of classic way that um, a lot of people start, which is taught by a grandmother, and absolutely no offense to my grandmother, but they're from a different generation, which were like really raised with it. And so she was teaching me on these teeny tiny, like these comically small needles and this like comically thin yarn. And I was just, uh, I was making an awful mess and not seeing a huge amount of progress. And I think that's very disheartening. And so what I think is so good is that you can, it's, uh, we have thinner yarns and thinner needles too, but for beginners, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's like, it makes you feel much better about yourself if you can actually not muddle your way through something. Um, so that's why I really like the thicker yarn and the thicker needles is that you can really like start and finish a project quite quickly and feel a huge sense of achievement. So the Make Yourself Happy campaign, how are you enlisting the Wool and the Gang tribe to do this? What's the yes. challenge? So we're actually, we really see this not as a short-lived campaign, but really as one of the core pillars of Wool and the Gang going forward. And um, we're just kind of powering up what we kind of do already and so we really want to we're introducing new categories like macrame to our knit parties which are you know even easier uh, because they don't involve any needles you really don't have to have done any any knitting or anything like that before you can really just start from scratch you don't have to be a dedicated maker you can just be like interested in making something and relaxing every now and then and we've really been asking people to show uh, to share their maker stories we've been releasing some of them on the blog we'll carry on releasing them and uh, throughout the year. And we are working on some partnerships with kind of mindful brands, with meditative brands, and with lifestyle and health brands that we, to kind of spread the word that knitting and crochet is also an option uh, in order to reduce stress and to, I don't know, is that good for your soul? Well, yeah, very good for the soul. It's soul food. And that the, the tribal aspect of sitting around in a circle or sitting at a table and communing with our friends is a, a, another part of the of the medicine. You know, it's absolutely just, it's a it's a huge part of it. We are going to go to a break, but before we do, I want to make sure that we give the um, contact information for Wool and the Gang and to learn how to connect with the Make Yourself 
happy campaign that they're launching, please visit woolandthegang.com. On Twitter, no, we're not doing Twitter. We're doing Instagram. And we're doing you, Charlotte Hinson, on Instagram. No? Oh, sorry. I I actually, uh, I didn't mean to put that... um Wool in the Gang, please, on Instagram. I mean, you can, ah. you can also follow me on Instagram. That'd be great. But, um, but Wool in the Gang is the best place to go. All right. Wool, wool in the Gang, it shall be. And on Facebook, the, the page is Wool and the Gang. And when we come back, I want to talk with you about how to use knitting in a rehabilitative environment. And I'm thinking about addiction recovery. This this is a topic that Jade and I had begun speaking about, and I would love to um, pilot something with you guys because I think that would be really cool to get the okay. feedback from clients, men and women, that might really get into this. So here come, here come those tunes. We'll be right back, and we'll carry on the conversation with Wool and the Gang and Make Yourself Happy. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction, an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are approaching happiness from a crafty angle today. We're talking about make yourself happy with Wool and the Gang. And for those of you who are not in the know, Wool and the Gang is a UK-based do-it-yourself fashion knit house, really. I mean, they have incredibly hip, cool products that you make yourself. The, the, the products are sent out in kits and they're meant to be done either individually or having a party where one sits with friends and colleagues 
and knits and um, they've added other products to their repertoire. And with me is the marketing director, Charlotte Henson, and she does startups for her happy place. <laughs> I'm <laughs> saying that. <laughs> so tell us about um, the power of repetition in the process yeah. of mindfulness and, 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 and what knitting elicits. So it was actually a professor, for instance, back in, um, in the 70s who released a book called The Relaxation Response. And it was very much based on a study he did uh, around transcendental meditation. And actually, he also then revealed that there were other practices which had the same effect as transcendental me meditation did, which is of kind of reducing blood pressure, reducing heart rate, uh, generally basically reducing all fight or flight stress symptoms. And knitting was one of them. Um, and it's, it's all because of that repetition, repetition, whereas, you know, in transcendental meditation, it's a phrase or a very personal word that you choose that you repeat over and over again. With knitting and crochet, it's just, it's like stitch after stitch. And once you get into like a neat little rhythm, it kind of, it, it, becomes, it becomes very mesmerizing and just also just very easy because it's a skill, it's not an art form. That's what's very important to, to remember. Everybody can learn it and everybody can, you know, we do our knit parties and people come having never ever picked up any needles before and they leave with, if not a finished snood, then, you know, a nearly finished snood. So really everybody can pick it up and I think that's what we like the most about this particular angle is that it feels like maybe it's one of the easier ways to achieve mindfulness uh, you know, and it, what comes to mind as you're speaking is uh, this little line that kills stress with knitting needles, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> attack it. Attack it with the knitting needles, preferably large ones, because you have the satisfaction of moving quickly through the project, right? Absolutely. That's very, very, very funny. Um, talk about, so you've got the knitting, you've added the crochet product line. Any other, any others that are coming on the horizon? Was there a third one that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, there is a third one. So macrame has been quite a big interiors trend in the last probably 18 months or so. And for those of you that don't know what it is, it's kind of, you know, if you've seen those 70s, like LA kind of hippie tapestries that seem like they're made all out of knots hanging from people's walls on Instagram, that's what I'm talking about. That's macrame. And we have a really great product called Jersey Be Good, and that is made from upcycled t-shirt yarn. So, and we work with factories in Turkey, you know, it would usually be landfill, but we, we make sure we turn it into 500 gram cones that you can knit and crochet and macrame with and it's what's really great about it is we feel like it reduces it uh it has a like hardly any barrier to entry you really don't have to be a pro at all there are no needles involved you just it's just a system of of uh knotting to create the patterns and it's also just uh you know kind of the same the same principle it's still like quiet and thoughtful um, work, but be I think because you don't have to learn how to pick up needles, we found when we've done classes, when we've been trialing our new party products, actually, you it really opens people up to talk even more. And we found it's been it's been a particularly great bonding session, the macrame parties. And I love the metaphor of nodding. You know, that, that yeah. with each knot, you can sort of let go of something. Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It I guess it depends. Um, I guess it depends what's going on in your life, um, and I don't know. I guess like how much how much you're focusing in on it. Because you're right. For one person, it could just be like a really casual little distraction that you do after work. But for another person, they could really be taking it up with, and that's what we found a lot in our survey. They really kind of took it up with the with an intention of finding something, an outlet of some kind. 
conscious nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Conscious nodding. Exactly. <laughs> so where is Bull and the Gang going to go from here? Are you, are you going to take this on the road or how are you going to grow this Make Yourself Happy campaign? I know you want it to be organic. You've said that. You want people to sort of contribute um, the fruits of their labor and, and to check in and, and communicate with you guys and what's going on in, in, in the Wool and the Gang world. How about expanding the reach to other parts of the world? Absolutely. And um, I would say in our, you're right, a lot of it won't has been quite organically driven already. But I think the kind of the uh, more proactive side of it is us expanding like this into new categories for our knit parties and also expanding the, um, the places that we hold our knit parties. Um, we're very much focused on the US because it's, um, it's actually just our, our biggest market. And, um, and along with, alongside that, we're also in talks at the moment with a whole load of uh, exciting brands which are very kind of mindful and lifestyle and, and uh, healthy living aligned to hopefully come up with some really fun partnerships, which I guess drive the message forward and, and spread the word. Indeed. Um, to, to host a knitting party, what does one need to do? You just need to go to our website, woolinthegang.com forward slash parties. And on that page, there are two options. One to host a home party where you can choose from some knit products, some crochet products, and I believe already some macrame products as well. And you have to have uh, at least five friends and it just all gets sent out to you and we send you a kind of blow-by-blow video tutorial to accompany all of you guys that evening. And otherwise you can look through our country and city drop-down list and see if there's any parties happening near you. So one can come with one's own tribe or one can, can begin to build a new one to reach out in the community in a, in a, in a meetup, which is what we have in the States. I don't know if you have it in the UK where you go online and you can find like-minded individuals that hold the same interest and like the same activities and then go to events that um, are geared towards that individual um, specialty. I actually, I do know about meetup, but you might be right. I think it might be more of a big thing in um, the US, but yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. The other, so yeah, you can host them at home with your own tribe or you can go and join, uh, find a whole new tribe. And um, we tend to host them, the knit parties in kind of fun cafes and bars and restaurants and stuff. So you can chill out and have a drink if you want. And it kind of doesn't, like, again, it just feels like a a non-intense environment too, a super chilled out environment. So how long does it take to, you mentioned that a snood can be made in, in an evening or pretty much in an evening. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think if you know how to knit, uh, if you know how to hold needles and do maybe just one stitch, then you could finish a snood on our chunky, uh, on our big needles and chunky wool. You could finish it in like, uh, I think like an hour and a half. And um, I'm a little slower. I'm still a beginner. So I'd probably be about two hours and our classes are about two hours. And um uh, so sometimes people who've really never knit at all leave with basically a finished snood in two hours. And some people, you know, like me, maybe a little bit slower, and you leave with pretty finished snood. But so basically one one evening in front of Netflix and you're done. Fantastic. And what about guys, guys in knitting? Because I remember in my discussion with Jade months ago, we were t- she said, guys love this. She mentioned about guys being great knitters. She's absolutely right. We have, uh, I was at a trade show recently where I had a whole bunch, I, I kind of, I just assumed that I'd only uh, be approached by women who knew Wool in the Gang, but I was being very prejudiced. And actually, I was approached by a whole load of men who were like, oh, I've made this, this, and this, because we have a lot of male products on the site. And um, they're just, I guess they're just not uh, 
just not as vocal as the girls, it seems like. But yeah, there are a lot of male knitters out there, but we always want more. We like really delight in seeing boys in our knit parties or like boys posting on Instagram. It's really great. That's terrific, actually. And what about knitting in a, I'm thinking in a convalescent environment, like in hospital or when once you said, mentioned somebody um, are, are having survey replies where people were in recovery and they use knitting as a, as a method. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's, um, so obviously it's quite a stressful time. So we, we had kind of two types of hospital stories, which was, um, one where people were maybe, um, waiting for people's uh, cancer treatments. Chemotherapy came up a lot because, um, patients have to sit there for a really long time. They often come with loved ones and uh, there's not like a huge amount to do necessarily. And so that was one, um, a lot of partners who'd maybe had to sit in a waiting room with, while their partner was getting chemotherapy um, several times a week. They would they took up knitting and crochet, and then or people that were actually resting in hospital or at home recovering from big illnesses or injuries themselves. And um, you know, one woman mentioned this like it was really nice to have something concrete uh, to do instead of this ephemeral waiting for like you'll get better soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she really she she liked that side of it. So it's just again about I think being able it's the it's relieving stress and just having quiet time and just like quiet concentration and just focusing your mind away I guess from the bigger troubles that are like right in front of you. And you also mentioned at the beginning of the show about a, a gaining a sense of control when perhaps life was is feeling very out of control with some of these traumatic events. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the the people that wrote about that was a lot of kind of work stress or if indeed they were like uh, suffering from an illness that didn't necessarily seem to have a really concrete end to it. Or if they just had like broken up with long term partners or if, you know, they'd lost somebody dear to them, where they just in situations where they felt really, really overwhelmed and out of control. And uh, in, in that instance, it was just I think it's the the sense of achievement of finishing something. And the sense that you have, it's very simple. It's just stitch by stitch, row by row. It's very methodical that you build something. Um, it, it made them feel, yeah, just a real sense of confidence and, and control over their lives. In the moment. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Which is really what this is designed to help us recognize, that we can be okay in the moment, that we can find a, a place of grounding and peace, even though life itself may not be at a very peaceful or or our happy place but this can bring us some temporary relief and, and engagement in a way that takes us away from the daily stress which is uh, which is a killer which is a killer and i think a lot of it's called caused by the second screen this like constant distraction that you know i'm relatively addicted to my phone um the constant distraction of your phone and i find it for that reason it's particularly great just to kind of uh, shut that off for a second um, and, and really like stop distracting yourself because that's very bad, I think, for your stress levels as well. The constant, constant influx from many, many different portals of information. Indeed. Indeed. It's something I strive to do is to have a, a digital uh, break, you know, vacation, yeah. even if it's just one day of the week, just put it away. A few hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A few hours, you know, during the week, it's hard. But yeah, even a few hours, just put it away in our house. We, we, we put them away for dinner and at least we get, you know, 45 minutes of just downtime. And it's really helpful. We have run out of time and I want to send our listeners to woolinthegang.com to learn more about Make Yourself Happy, to buy their products, to start your own knitting crocheting or macrame tribe to learn more about the beautiful work. I mean, this is just beautiful, fashionable, cool, fun stuff that we can make. Um, and on um, 
Instagram. Because Charlotte and Wool and the Gang are Instagrammers, please visit Wool and the Gang on Instagram or Charlotte Hinson on Instagram. And finally, on Facebook, that page is Wool and the Gang. And you and I, my dear, will connect and talk about a way to test. Maybe uh, you suggested crochet in addiction recovery. So maybe we'll have to come back and give, give the world a report on that. Absolutely. And thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure and a delight, and we're big supporters of what you do over there. So continue to uh, conquer the world with knitting needles and 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 yarn <laughs> to make yeah. people happy. This is we a good thing. <laughs> All right, go out and make it a great day. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress-Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast, particularly if you or someone you know and love has struggled or is struggling with substance abuse or comes from a family who has been challenged by this issue. My next guest is Dr. Tian Dayton. She is the Director of Program Development for Breath Life Healing Center. She is a prolific author, I might add. She's written more than 15 books. Her most recent is The ACOA Trauma Syndrome, The Impact of Childhood Pain on Adult Relationships. Dr. Dayton has earned a master's degree in educational psychology and a PhD in clinical psychology. She is a board-certified trainer in psychodrama, 
Sociometry and Group Psychotherapy. In addition, Dr. Dayton is Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Psychodrama, Sociometry, and Group Psychotherapy. She sits on professional standards committees and blogs for Counselor Magazine, Recovery View, and the Huffington Post. Welcome, Tian. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Let's talk about the origins of ACOA trauma syndrome, but first define what that means. The ACOA trauma syndrome is really a post-traumatic stress reaction in which pain that began in childhood, that set in in childhood, goes underground and emerges again in adult relationships. In other words, in the same way that a car backfiring might trigger fear of gunfire for a soldier, adult relationships act as a trigger for what occurred in early childhood intimate relationships. And what we when we try to what we mm-hmm. I just want to clarify what we mean by ACOA is adult children of alcoholics. Exactly, they were children of alcoholics when they were little, and they carry the pain into adulthood. At which time they are referred to as adult children of alcoholics. And when you talk about the the symptoms manifesting in adult relationships, um, simple triggers could be people arguing, things like that. Telling our listeners a bit about some of the common triggers. Some of the common triggers, well, one is intimacy. I mean, just the very fact of being close and all the feelings of dependency and vulnerability that accompany it can be triggering for somebody who's learned that adults, that that attachment figures can't be dependent on, that they're erratic in their behavior. A child who grows up with adult uh, addicts learns that they can't really allow themselves to be themselves, to be dependent, to be needy in a, in a reasonable, regulated way. So they get scared of being close. They get scared of needing. They get super independent. They learn that depending on people is a bad idea and leads to pain. So then later when they become uh, partners and parents, those fears of dependency and closeness, they learn that closeness hurts. So they, they uh, get close and intimate, but they keep a distance at the same time, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So what I'm hearing is that uh, sufferers or people who are challenged by ACOA trauma syndrome, that when they are connected in any way, the, um, the relationship itself becomes a challenge. They want it, but yet they don't want it. There's a push-pull that my okay. guess and in my experience also leads to isolation, separation, disconnection from the very thing that one desires. Yeah, they, they alternate between the, what I call the trauma dance of uh, it's, it's zero to ten, ten to zero, so that they would feel really, really close, and that that feeling of real closeness might trigger a desire to distance. And then the distance would get lonely, so they get really, really close, and it, it goes back and forth like that. It's, it tends to be cycling back and forth between extreme states. And what is happening in the body? when this is going on, the neurobiology? Well, good, good, good question. Actually, if you want to start in the very beginning, children are born only partially hardwired for, for uh, emotional uh, well-being. We 
continue the hardwiring through parenting. It's almost called the fourth trimester. Children will not be able to be have, be born. Their heads would be too large if they fully developed the complex neurological wiring that they need to be human beings as opposed to animals. So much of that relational wiring goes on in that intimate parent-child state early on. And any parent knows this intuitively. You teach your I, child how to be close, right? Well, I love what you just said about the fourth trimester. Yeah. It, it makes it easy to understand because it's, it's marsupial mothering. It's really that, that baby state when they are not, they are entirely dependent on their parent for a sense of well-being, obviously, and also to teach them through the parent behavior how to regulate their own emotions. Children come with an ability to be fully responsive, a fully responsive fear response. Their amygdala is fully formed, so they get when they get scared, they are just out there in a frightened state and need to be, you know, cooed and held and cuddled back into a state of equilibrium. And as that happens repeatedly over time in the arms of a loving and caring parent, they learn, they develop the neurological wiring to regulate themselves. Now, the child who grows up in a ignored or not cooed back into safety, or with parents who themselves are the frightening people. In other words, a, a child of an alcoholic parent not only is being scared by their parent, but they're losing access to their source of regulation, the person they would go to for comfort and to learn that they don't have to be so scared. So it's a double whammy for a child. And a child is also vulnerable because they are making sense of the world with the developmental equipment they have at any given age. So the two-year-old who thinks that the universe, you know, circulates around and for them will decide that their parent is angry because of them. Their parent is drinking because of them. Their parent is acting, acting erratic because of them. And they, at some deep level, see it is their job to fix them. And of course, and of course they can't. So they grow up with a sense of failure and a sense that they're, they're not so good at um, taking care of another person. So that all of these lessons in relating get carried into adult, not only partnering, but parenting. You know, ACOAs tend to over-parent or under-parent. We, we, uh, we're very, uh, overprotective and when that gets too overwhelming we can't pull back so it, we need regulation is at the core of all recovery from the ACOE trauma syndrome or any trauma really it's a loss of emotional regulation which leads to psychological dysregulation and a regaining of such through recovery but the good news is it's it's very uh, treatable very treatable but if you don't treat it, it, it doesn't get better on its own, I don't think. I haven't, I haven't experienced that. I really would like to say it gets better on its own, but I don't think it does. I think what happens is it gets passed on to the next generation. So we, um, the good news is that, that recovery is entirely possible and, in fact, fun, enlivening, and it's not like you have to be in recovery for seven years and then you are recovered. From the day you start trying to turn the syndrome around, you, you start feeling better. 
but you need to stay on it. You need to stay, do it for a long time. And you need not to pretend that you have not been traumatized by the experience of growing up in chaos. Now, some of the buffering factors uh, are if, if you had like, alternative places to go for safety that could balance your parents, that's very helpful, grandparents, faith institutions, neighbors, relatives who are willing to stand in the breach uh, and, and make life more manageable for you. However, my experience with ACOAs tells me that denial and repression are a big, big part of the syndrome. And ACOAs, because, because we learn to depend on ourselves, it can often tend to want to ignore the effects of of the pain we grew up with and what and deny them and that's when they pass down because they pass down in unregulated dysregulated behaviors in parenting and they are denied so that we're not aware of what we don't know that's the most serious part of the ACOI trauma syndrome that I see that people pass things on that they're not aware of we are going to go to a break, and when we come back, I'd like to really delve into the idea, well, not the idea, the, the actual fact of secondhand trauma and how it affects um, legacies and generations, because this is what I see most often in my own work, is that you have somebody who comes in for treatment, and then when they start telling you know, the story of their lives and the generations that preceded them, there is a repetition of this pattern, and, and, and I, I call it the emotional terrorism. Yeah. There, the, uh, the reenactment dynamic is one of the things the psychoanalysts clued into very early, and that's essentially recreating and reenacting unresolved unconscious pain. It's, it's leaking. It's what Oprah Winfrey referred to as bleeding into the next generation wounds of one yeah. generation bleeding into the next. If it's unconscious, it will probably bleed. The trick is to make it conscious, which means you've got to sit with your own pain. You can't project it onto your child. That's, that's a very common pattern of how things get passed down. ACOA couples, one's an ACOA or both is an ACOA, run into tough spots in their own relationship. And rather than sit with their own individual pain and their pain as a couple, they develop what's called a target child, a symptom-bearing child. We're going to dance off to a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Tian Dayton. To learn more about her work and her books, please visit www.tiondayton.com. And on Facebook, that page is Tian Dayton, Ph.D. And on Twitter, the handle is at Tian underscore Dayton. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen 
author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question, what makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking with Dr. Tion Dayton, who is the Director of Program Development for Breath Life Healing Center. She is an author of many, many books, the most recent, The ACOA Trauma Syndrome, The Impact of Childhood Pain on Adult Relationships. And we're talking with Dr. Dayton today about ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, and the traumatic syndrome that can ensue and the legacy that can be passed on if this is untreated. Tian, before the break, we were talking about a bleeding or a sense of the trauma being perpetuated in relationships um, in, 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 in legacy and decades to come. Talk a little bit more about that dynamic and what can be done to break the cycle. It's really unconscious pain that gets passed down. It's pain that you, you're denying in yourself. So that means you transfer it or project it onto somebody else. It's, for example, if you had uh, a painful parent, a parent you were uh, feeling hurt by, and that pain reemerges in a fight with your spouse because the spouse is suddenly acting like uh, rejecting the way your parent did or getting angry or rageful the way your parent did, what gets triggered in you is not only the pain that you're experiencing in the moment, but the add-on of the old pain that you are unaware that you carry from childhood. So the upshot is that you will overreact to your spouse. So you'll get into a fight that is intractable, that can't end because it's not only about what's happening in the present and it cannot be sorted out only by deciding to work through what's going on between the couple you need to revisit the extra load of pain that's being imported from the past and work with that 
separately so that you can then be fully present for the conflict that's happening. All, all relationships have conflict, but the ones that are loaded up with pain from the past are, mm. are, have too many pressures to resolve them. Or you've what you said to a kid. You, in other what, words, you think, you think your partner is the one causing you pain. And you look yeah. at your partner and think the solution is, I can either fix this person, get rid of this person, or, or something like that, when you really need to fix what you're carrying and then bring it up into the present day. Well, isn't the root of all discord in our relationships, our relationship to the issue? I mean, isn't this isn't this where the work really begins, where the where the repair and the recovery and the healing happens, when we're able to really look at our own conduct, our own thoughts, feelings, actions, and perceptions, and begin to dance with them in a little bit more constructive way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you have two people who are willing to own their own pain, their own everything, really, who are willing to take responsibility for their own happiness, that's when the harvesting that you talk about can start. Otherwise, uh, you're, you're making each other responsible for each other's happiness. And really, yeah. for a successful relationship, you need two people who are taking responsibility for their own happiness and willing to clean up what's in the way of it, both individually and and open up together so that you see not only the adult standing before you, but the child within them, not only the wounded child, but the happy child, the vulnerable child, the needy child. You're, all of those parts of us are present when we're intimate. And if various parts of those parts of us are wounded and silent, they will get in the way of the intimacy today. Yeah. And and, and I think that is the challenge for many of us in our relationships is the fear of the vulnerability because we carry the wounds and the baggage. And I love what you said about the pain being imported from the past, that it's scary to go to the place that you are speaking of. It's much easier to make it about the person who triggered it. Yeah, because you you have the you have the illusion that you can then do something about it, but the solution is actually the simplest thing to to accept that there is nothing you can do about it. it that that porch is burnt. It's you know just sit with the pain and survive it. And the reason we think we can't survive it is because when we were children attached to parents, we really couldn't survive without them. We were too little to survive in the world without them. So the pain that they caused felt too much to accept. If we had let ourselves know the pain we were in, we might have uh, thought we couldn't survive. But that's not true as adults. As adults, we are in charge of our own lives. And it really just becomes a question of accepting and sitting through the pain and acknowledging it and coming to terms with it. It is not difficult. It's not rocket science. It just hurts. But on the other side of the hurt, these are these are beautiful blessed tears that lead to happiness. They're not they're they're not just bitter angry tears, they're cleansing tears. And ten minutes of tears can save ten months of pain. I mean it's it's really uh are you willing to sit with yourself? And two people are willing to sit with themselves in their own pain, that's when the harvesting happiness can, can start. The happiness that's in the present because Anybody who's listening to this radio show is already leading a good life, I think. 
Well, we we would hope. <laughs> well, but we, the, the, see, we're we have choice in our country. We have we have a lot of freedoms not enjoyed elsewhere. Oh, indeed, you know? we do, and and I and I love to remind people of that on a daily basis. You know, we we do yeah. have so much freedom and so much choice. And even when we are uh, living in countries or places or circumstances where choices are reduced, we Uh still have the choice and dominion over our minds. Yes. I mean, Viktor Frankl talks about that in Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. Learning it in a concentration camp is the one thing no one can take away from you. Exactly. And, and, you know, going back to this vulnerable place where you have two people who are willing to visit the skeletons in the closet or the messy yeah. linen cupboard, you know, whatever one yeah. wants to call what goes on up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have two people in a, in a relationship that are willing to do that and and share and release tears or, or really um, let go, you have this magic. I mean, I've witnessed it in with clients. I've witnessed it in myself and in my own relationship. This magic happens that is irreplaceable joy. Irreplaceable joy. Because you've not only, uh, well, you've, you've learned to use each other and the love you feel is a stimulus for growth. So you've learned to use the triggering that occurs in the heat of intimacy, not as a reason to distance, but as a reason to reflect and to tell you where your pain lies. You've used the trigger as a red flag marking the spot of unconscious pain. And we all need to get to that pain somehow, and we're not going to get to it watching movies necessarily. We, we might get to some of it, but the way that you're going to get to the deepest stuff is by being in a committed, intimate relationship or being a parent. Nothing triggers old pain like new, deep, intimate relationships. So they can become either vehicles for feeling worse or vehicles for growing both emotionally, psychologically, and eventually, of course, spiritually. How do we help people uh, muster courage and become brave enough. They don't have to be completely brave, just brave enough, you know, maybe a couple percent more to be willing to go to that place, you know, that place where we're able to release the tears, that we're able to face the fear and realize we won't die. We will not be injured. In fact, by leaning into it is the actual medicine that makes us whole again. I mean, I know in my own life, being an ACOA myself and the wife of an ACOA, I, I really did it for my kids. I I was so used to uh, having a, a compromised sense of self that doing it for myself did not fully make sense to me. But I could do it for my children because I, I really saw clearly the importance of cleaning out my past so I didn't pass it on to them. And that's what motivated me until I had built or rebuilt a strong enough sense of self to do it for myself, to do it for my husband, to do it for my marriage, to do it for my life, to do it for God, to, you know, just there are endless Mm. reasons why you should heal once you start. But I think initially go for whatever touches your heart. And I think as parents, we're very touched 
by our children. We we may have a right to be silent ourselves and do what we want with our own life, but we have no right to visit pain that we don't have the courage to face on our children. Then it becomes wrongdoing on our part. Ooh, I like that. Right? I like that. Yeah. So there's a sort of a social social responsibility aspect to this, that if yeah, we're not we, willing to deal yeah. with it, we don't have any right to perpetuate it. I don't think so. We don't have any say over what happened to us. That happened to us. No. But we have all the say in the world about what we pass along. And that is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. So I think we have to square that off with ourselves and take your responsibility seriously and to heart and walk into an Al-Anon meeting or an ACOA meeting. Or don't expect, I mean, by all means, read the book I wrote, but use it as a, use it as a springboard to get help. You know, it's not going to be done by a book. It's no, agreed. We are out of time. But before we go, I want to once again give the title of your newest book, which is The ACOA Trauma Syndrome, The Impact of Childhood Pain on Adult Relationships. My guest has been Dr. Tion Dayton. To learn more, please visit TionDayton.com. On Facebook, that page is Tion Dayton, Ph.D. And on Twitter, the handle is at Tion underscore Dayton. Thank you, Tion, for being with us. And I hope you'll come back and share more. I would love to come back anytime. What a lovely work you're doing. Thank you. Well, we are going to make that a date. We are out of time. Thanks for joining us for another hour of Purpose Driven Media designed to inspire and delight you. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Erica Spiegelman and Dr. Tian Dayton, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and make it a great one. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.